now the work of Christmas begins, huh? Um, gosh, I don't know about you, but it, it's, it's hard to believe Christmas is over, isn't it? Uh, for this year? Isn't, didn't it seem like it just happened last year? Anybody with me there? I just like really thought like, wow, what happened? This year like went, pew, um, just flew by. It just seemed, just seemed so weird. Another Christmas is, um, is over. Uh, you know, I, um, I, uh, I used to be really addicted. I've gotten better to uh, plastic people. You know what I mean? The plastic people you light and put in your yard. I used to have tons of those things. And I just had a couple, so I put some of them out there. I think Melissa took the rest of them, melted them down or something. But those things are expensive now. Um, now you can get to blow up people, but not the plastic ones. Like when I was in college, I bought my first plastic person, a little Santa Claus, and I still got him. And he falls over with the wind we've had, and I put him out there next to Frosty. So I keep Frosty and Santa on one side, and then I have Mary and Joseph and the other ones. And then I like threw some lights on some trees. And, and you know, when I saw that video with the, from the skit guys, I kind of felt that way. You know, go through a lot of work to throw those things up. And some people are like really into it. Um, uh, a, friend, a friend of mine from school, I know a former neighbor of yours, um, he was in the paper, Rodney Manuel, with his that uh, go to the music, and I've showed you some of them. I'm like, that's amazing. If I did that, I'd have that all year, you know, kind of like just out there playing like in a God of the Vita or something like that, you know. But um, I just, uh, it just seems like there's, you know, I, I'm actually glad that I decided God led me to use the uh, Christmas chaos kind of sermon series, because that's just kind of how it felt. It just felt like it was... And here we are. And even the day Christmas felt very, very chaotic. How many for you was it very chaotic? Um, for some of you, you had a first Christmas with some, some new additions to the families, I know, little, little babies and other kinds of things. Uh, but Christmas morning is wonderful chaos. It's like kind of an organized chaos. My kids uh, this year, they shocked us immensely. They always get up before we do. And, you know, um, we still have younger ones, so they're like up before the lights, you know, even. Like we might just get to bed and here they come up, you know. Um, And we have this rule that Melissa came up with years ago. You, You must stay in bed or you cannot wake us up before the sun comes up. So I was like, man, why couldn't we switch, like, fall back, you know, set all the clocks and, you know, blacken out all the windows and just put a fake sun outside or whatever. But they were good. And this year, they got up, and a couple of the older ones, I think Jacob was still sleeping, because, you know, around teenagers where you got, you're waiting at 9 o'clock and saying, get up, come on, let's go. And, you know, they're, they're like five. They're like, yes, you know. And what they did, they actually organized all the presents by name, so they did that for like an hour and a half before we got up. And then when it came time to open, they actually opened in turn. They said, okay, Judah, you go first. Okay, Hannah, in age. And then they say, okay, who's next? That's never happened before. It was a Christmas miracle, you know. Um, and this is how it went. But I had, I had gotten in my mind, you know, you spend time, you wrap, you have this, and it all just goes, now, I, it all just goes kafloy. Now, how many of you are the ones who tear open packages? Like just rip into paper and throw them. How many are that way? I am. I'm a ripper tear. How many are you the ones that take out like a knife or something and, and cut it and you take an hour to open the package? Who's that? That drives me insane. Just rip the stuff, right? Um, but is, am I right? I got some. I, I've seen two get pointed out at least. But you know, they'll go, and you're like, open the thing, just open it, you know. Um, but it's, it's interesting because I have my plan this year, my plan this year, because usually I have to go 
deliver my own trash, I usually will go right before Christmas as I shared the other week. But then afterwards, I'll have to go with 30 other bags that are just filled with paper. So this year I said, how we have a chimney on the deck, I am burnt. So I was like, I was like the insane dad. They opened a present. You done with that? Got everything out? Good. <laughs> I had a flame going all day. You know, here we go. Oh, great. You're good. Done with that? <laughs> you know, and I was like, yes, save me some time and money, you know. Um, so that was my organization where I think sometimes the kids just want to have, I just want to mess around for a while, you know. Just want to see that. So what's interesting is the shimmering, uh, I, I put this down, the shimmering wrap and bows that was all nicely neat and packaged um, around the house and under the tree now ends up in a shimmering pile in the middle of the floor. If anybody, and, and a firing shimmering pile in my, uh, my chimney. Um, you know, the lights and the trees have now come to a point where they become, instead of that, that glorious thing, I've left my lights on. Um, it's end of year, I guess. I've left my Christmas lights on since Christmas Eve. They've been on. I just finally turned them off last night because I realized I'm the only one in the neighborhood who leaves them, who's left them on this time. You know, historically under the Christian calendar, there were several days of Christmas. There was a season of Christmas, which we are still in. Uh, and we've gotten it to a day, a morning, a time to open, uh, a dinner, or if I saw some people were sick and they had to postpone it till Friday or Saturday. And we've done this kind of stuff. Um, but no matter way way we look at it, Christmas as a celebration for us for 2012 has become a memory, hasn't it? It's something that we've worked weeks and months and, and final days to has now become a memory that we have. And so today I just want to open with a prayer as we have this transitional week that we don't always get every year between Christmas and the new year. Um, let's pray. Lord God, we are here to worship you. And um, for many of us, uh, this Christmas meant anything but joy and excitement. For some of us, it it brought back uh, so many memories of yesteryear, maybe even uh, memories of 20, 30, 40 years ago. For some of us, it was an exciting year, and there was joy there. But ultimately, God, we're here today, and I thank you for the people coming. As I yesterday I said, man, it doesn't feel like Saturday. And then I got up this morning and said, gosh, it doesn't feel like Sunday. But God, every day in you is a Sunday, a day where we can worship the risen Savior and Lord. And I just ask that you just bring your spirit here as we've just been running around like crazy throughout this season. Give us time to just focus on you again. Thank you for your services and the people who came in that we hopefully touched their hearts. We want to pray for the people who, who dealt with loss and those who are dealt even with joy this Christmas. Be real to us as we enter this new year finishing off this other one, as we look back today, um, help us to just grow and learn from those things so that we can leap forward. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so I want to give you an activity. Now, you don't have to do it, but it would be nice if you do it. If I ask you to shut your eyes, I actually was teaching class, and I had this one kid in my class who said, I'm not going to shut my eyes. And I said, why not? He said, because I don't know these people. I said, really? Is it, are we at that point? Is there anybody in here I need to be worried about? Maybe you, you know? Um, and, uh, and so we teased him all semester about not shutting his eyes. But um, if I ask you to shut your eyes, which I, if you want to, shut your eyes, and I mention this one word, what comes to mind? Ready? Here, I'm, remember. Okay, I'll say it again. Remember. Okay, open your eyes. Now, what came to mind when you thought of remember? Anybody? Like what? For example. Um, where I was seven 
Okay. Okay, so there's one. Anything else? Yeah. Your mom and dad. What else? Anybody else think of anything? Anybody go blank? Trying to remember? Yeah. Of God, okay? Remembering about God. What else? Anybody? Go ahead. Your, your niece and nephew being born, okay? Anybody else? Back there. It's just interesting that it's probably taken us all to different places. And we really had time to stop, and I paused for a long time. And I, that word remember, it forces us to actually do the act, doesn't it? Remember, and, we, and it takes us to a point. Now, for some of us, we may, um, we may have had different, different kinds of uh, things that occurred that caused us to remember something. When I, I tried this myself, and for some reason, I think I shared this before, for some reason, every time I stop to remember, I think of a couple things, and since it was, when I was preparing this, it was right around Christmas, I thought back to a Christmas. And I always think back to this one that only one person in this room will remember, and Jill, um, was, it was a Christmas in Federalsburg, Maryland, so I couldn't have been four, or three or four. Um, I mean, yeah, at the most. Um, and I just remember, it was an exciting Christmas. I think my my, both my grandparents were there from my uh, mom's uh, side, my, my maternal grandparents. He was probably still with it um, at the time, um, and maybe that's what I remember. And I just remember it being like, I don't remember a lot of stuff. I think the, that was the fire engine dollhouse Christmas. Um, Joe got the fire engine, I got the dollhouse. No, just joking. Um, the other way around. But I remember, I, that's all I remember about that, that part. But I just remember... Just like, there was like a, more like I, I remember the feeling. You know what, I remember the, there's like an excitement feeling, but more, more importantly, I remember like a, a family feeling. That might even been when dad got his calculator. I don't know. My dad got a calculator where you had to plug it in. That tells you what year that was. It had the green letters. Okay, anybody remember those? Okay, where you could write hell backwards if you, yeah, you guys know what I mean. In other words, too? Okay. Um. But just something about that. The, only, the other thing I remember is going to, years later, having to go on Christmas Eve to go visit my grandfather where my mother, I know those of you who know my mother would be shocked by this, but made Jill and I sing in front of, in, in like the Alzheimer's ward. Now, if you've ever had a, a rough crowd, sing for the Alzheimer's ward. Because they will tell you exactly what they think. And they did. They begged you not to sing. They cussed you out. It was great for a 10-year-old. Okay? <laughs> Am I lying? No, not at all. Okay. Um, and so I just, I just remember that experience. I remember how, how I just didn't want to go. And I remember every year it was the joke. My grandfather would, yes, take forever to open a package. And he wouldn't even look at the tissue. And he'd tell you exactly what it was, even though he was completely out of his mind. He'd tell you exactly what the gift was. That's a shirt. No, you don't know that, Pop. And sure enough, it was a shirt. I was like, is there some kind of like clairvoyance he gets here, you know? And it was just, those memories just stick with us. And then I remember the first Christmas my, my son was born, my oldest son. Um, it was our first Christmas, and I remember around that time, many of you know Betty Rogers. Um, it was the same Christmas her son Jay was um, in a car accident on Thanksgiving and died right before Christmas. I remember, I remember celebrating Christmas with my new son and then going downstairs and working on a funeral service. 
and having his funeral in a snowstorm. It's just weird, those things that you remember in time. But when I expand it from Christmas, I, I think of a point in life where I was in Lewis, and I was separated from my family, and it was a very difficult time. I was talking to my grandmother, and I just had one of those moments where I broke down. I got to live with her for a year or so. So that was a good point, because she was an awesome lady. And I remember at that point, here I was, um, 30-some, late 30s, and I remember just breaking down at a moment. At that moment, I wasn't a pastor or an adult or I wasn't a, a husband or a father. At that moment, my grandmother just came and put her arms around me. And here's this 90-some-year-old woman to almost a 40-year-old, around a 40-year-old uh, man, and she was just loving her grandchild at that moment. You know, it's funny, those points in life that when we have that term, remember, it happens. When we let our, our, our minds wander, there's so many memories that come to us. And memories do several things. They bring joy to us, and they, they bring tears to us at times. Am I right? Like we, woo, yay, or we, oh, you know. It's, it, it carries a lot of weight with it. It can put us in a great mood or set us to our room with tears for the rest of the week. Memories, how they are. Now, the next time we meet together... 2012 will be a distant memory as well. And so when I ask you, was it, a, was it a great year for you? Was 2012, remember this time last year, some of us saying, whew, thank God 2011's over. That was horrible, can't get any worse. And then 2011 happened, boom. And then we had some things. I was just thinking, it was when our, our own Jeannie learned toward the end of last year and into this year that she had cancer and dealt with those struggles. You know, um, and we had a lot of that stuff going on. A lot of people, it seemed like the beginning of 2011, it was bam, 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 2012. And then continued on, continued on, continued on. And for so many of us, it was a tragic time. For others, it was a joyous time. For others of us, it started difficult where we, where we, we, were, we had um, sorrow in 2011. And then 2012 brought us new life. Brought us new kids, right? New smiles. New relationships and all kinds of things like that. So it was good or bad. So for some of us, it was a a, a year filled with weddings and births and anniversaries and major victories. For others, it was a blur of, it might have been divorce, fights, failures. And maybe you don't want to remember. But if I ask you personally, did you make great choices or did you make bad choices in 2011? I, I bet you if I ask you that question, we could say that we did a little bit of both. We made some choices that were really awesome and good, and we made some other ones that, eh, maybe we won't tell people we made that choice. And we've, we've had those in our lives. The answer is yes to the good, the bad, and the ugly. 2012 it may have been good and bad, so maybe some of us right now have said, you know what, God, I am going to make a strong decision. Every decision I make in 2013 is going to be good. It's going to be a great decision. Everyone, I promise you, God, I'm going to do it. You may, anybody put notes on your fridge, like inspirational notes, that, like things like, you know, like if you're dieting, you say, don't eat, don't open this, or by penalty of death, or, or something like that. You know, when, when I first started this workout thing, and actually it's on the side, but I had a picture of a shirtless Jack two years ago on the beach on the fridge. Now, something to keep you away from the fridge is that. If anybody wants to borrow it, it's good. Um, 
and I had it sitting there, and, um, and now it's moved to the side, so I guess I can cheat a little bit. But we, we have those kind of things there. You know how many times we've done that? If there are so many of us in this room that say, I'm just going to make perfect choices this year, then if you can avoid all the rough parts, then you are well ahead of where I ever will be. And on top of that, you will be what the Bible calls a perfect person, perfect man or woman. You see, because our memories can either encourage us or plague us in life. And as we look back on this year, I want to take you to a verse of Scripture that's printed right in your bulletin, and it'll be up on the screen from James chapter 3. James, the brother of Jesus, and I want you to listen to this verse. James says, in um, chapter 3, verse 2, Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we can control our tongues, we will be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Isn't that awesome? Don't you love this? I love that first verse. We all make many mistakes. Look at the person next to you and say, you made a lot of mistakes this year. Now look at the person on the other side and tell them this, you're going to make a whole bunch this year. Right? Doesn't that make you feel good? Oh, man. Look at that. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. Because if I could get a hold of this, how many of you, I'm, I'm going to ask the guys here because I relate to How many of you guys, like your, your lady, your girl, or whatever comes down and says, hey, how do I look? And you say, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. I'm going to say it. That looks like crap. What? You know? You're not going to say it. Or you're like, I'm, you get something in your mind. I've got to, uh, or, or vice versa. You, you go ahead and you say, you say to somebody, you say to your significant other, um, I got I to gotta tell them about it. No, 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 I'm not going to tell that because then it's going to end up, no, it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow up. If I, if I tell them, I'm not, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. And you see them, you go, oh, by the way. And, you tell, and you're like, ah, you know, World War Three, right? We have these things. Our tongues get us in lots of trouble. I'd say many of our mistakes followed after this mouth thing. Am I right? You know, sometimes you throw something out and you just wish you could like, be Superman and fly back around the earth to revolve it like in the first movie. Um, who knows? It's, it's weird, isn't it? Isn't it interesting? James says, if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect in every way. Wow. You know, I, I, I read uh, about a pastor who was at a, a, a popular pastor who was at a conference, and he said to people this. He said, and I printed it in, in your bulletin, don't do anything you'd have trouble explaining on Sunday. <laughs> now, I, and, and it took me back to a memory of seminary studying John Wesley and the early Methodists. And how the early Methodists, what they did is they had, they would get together and they had church because they were the Anglicans. They were, if we were the early Methodists, we would right now be at the Episcopal church in town. Okay. And then we would meet another time during the week in a, in a Methodist movement. It was like a small group ministry. They called themselves the Oxford Holy Club. And um, they, the Methodist was a derogatory term because they had a method to everything. Uh, to their faith. And what was interesting, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking what they would do, they'd come to worship 
on Sunday, and it would be normal, it would be very high Anglican, high church. And then when they would come to the Methodist movement, no matter how many people were there, they would spend time in the Methodist movement sharing on ways they had failed God and sinned that week. Anybody sign up for that today? Praise God. And who wants to share first? Right? And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, it was about accountability and keeping them accountable to each other so that they could live, so that they knew whatever I'm going to do during that week, I'm going to have to share at the Methodist group on this week. And, if I, and I couldn't be sick because John Wesley would be at my door. You know? I was like, wow, boy, would that change the way I say and do things in my life? Probably a little bit, right? Imagine that. Imagine if you, if, I want you to think of one thing you did or said this last week that if, if we put it up here on the screen, that moment, you would have to explain to us how would that work out for you. Oh my, I'm, thank God he didn't have a recorder. You know, that, think, I got to watch out though. Now they, everybody has recordings and, you know, around my house and they might fill it up and put it on here one week. Who knows? Some of us here may have memories that we're just bound to, and we've been bound to for 50 years or so. From the, I don't know where you did 1976, 1986. You may just be bound to these memories, and you can't free yourself from them, I and mean, you're tired of it. So what I want to do today is I want to share some suggestions on how to deal with your memories. And the first thing I'm going to tell you is a word I've already shared today, and it's right in there, suggestions to deal with memories. Number one. Remember, remember the good, the bad, the ugly. One of the things that happened in, in, in like the early history, particularly in Egyptian history, if something went bad, they would completely write you out of the history books. Okay, we talked a little bit about this in Disciple. And guess what? We try to do the same things with our mistakes in life, don't we? Um, we just kind of write that out and, and file that away. And put that somewhere. Um, But I believe we need to remember it all. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Because what I believe is the good, the bad, the ugly memories help funnel us into being the person that God desires us to be. And what we need to do, and this is the second, this is the bullet point right underneath there. We need, do not let your past hinder you. But let your past release you. Is there anybody here who is proud of every moment of your past? Please raise your hand. Okay, that's unanimous. So guess what? How many of you believe that you have learned from your past? How many believe you have probably learned more from your past from the things that you messed up on than the things that you did well and got the pat on the back with? Exactly. And so when we deny those areas of our lives, we cut off an area of where God wants us to be. I wasn't horrible, but I still was a mess. And I'm still a mess at times. And well, I'm a mess more than not a mess, I think, at times. But what happened is that funnels me in being who God wants me to be. Um, So often we get in this conflict between our memories that control us and our past. And this is no different if we look in the scripture. If you are burdened by the sins of your past, you're like everybody else in the Bible. But it can release you if you know 
the right method, and that's what I want to share here today. And in order to do so, we've got to talk about somebody who is probably one of the most important people in Scripture, particularly in the New Testament. He wrote most of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. Okay, everybody good? Here we go. The Apostle Paul. Now, I want to share with you something that he wrote. Paul was talking about himself, how good he is in Philippians. And he says this, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. Sound good so far? Now, listen to this. This is what he adds in his resume. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as far as righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was writing my resume, I would have left that last line out. He writes, I was a good Jew. I practiced. I was born there. I was a Pharisee, one of the ruling classes. I did this. I did that. But let me tell you something. I was so zealous and good for the law. I was such a good Jewish boy that I went and I rounded, I yanked men, women, and children out of their houses, put them on trial, and had them killed. Does that sound like a good resume? What? I don't know about you, but I would leave that out of my resume. Like, if I, was, if I was applying to be a pastor of a church, I wouldn't say, um, well, um, I did this, 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 and by the way, I embezzled millions of dollars from someone. Would you add that as part of your... I, I didn't, because you know, I'd be living in a lot more posh, or maybe a lot worse, you know, who knows? Might be in a cell with an orange jumpsuit, who knows? But what I'm saying is, not many of us on a resume would put down the things that bother us the most, would we? And by the way, I, I'm, I'm addicted to everything in life. I'm, I'm addicted to sex, drugs, rock and roll, name it. We wouldn't write that down on our resume. So why does Paul, writing to a church, a new church, say, oh, by the way, I was such a good Jew, I tried to round up the church and kill him. Why did he do this? Listen to what he shares about This is how zealous he was. This is the memory that he has. He goes to Acts chapter 7, which is the first recorded New Testament martyr, a guy named Stephen, who they threw stones at him, stoning him and killing him. And nowadays, you've got to say they threw rocks at him and stoned him because you don't want to say Stephen was stoned. It means something completely different to the young people of today. Right? Really? That's in the Bible? Okay. What does it say here? Look at your scripture, or up on the board, uh, the, the uh, overhead. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, what they hear, Stephen was giving his testimony about the history of Israel. And then he was talking about Jesus. And he said, looked at them, and he said, you're the ones who killed the Messiah. That didn't make them happy. Listen to what they said. They were furious, and they gnashed their teeth at them. Anybody ever gnashed their teeth? This is when you're really mad. You know, your kids kind of do this to you. You're like, where's your You know, like that. Anybody ever? Bill Cosby, the comedian, said he thought his dad couldn't speak right until he was 11. You remember that? All right. 
So he says, the Sanhedrin heard this. They were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. You know what they did here? La, 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 not listen to this. Ah, like kids. La, 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 gnashing, la, like this. Then all of a sudden, they ran at him, they dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who later becomes Paul. This is what he is including as a memory in Philippians. He's including one of the worst case scenarios to remember. He's a leader in the church. He's evangelizing. Wouldn't you want to keep that back here? I would. But that's my problem. I don't understand what Paul was trying to do. To do. The people, the Sanhedrin, were la, la, la. they didn't want to listen. They didn't want to listen like the world doesn't want to listen about Jesus anymore. Why does Paul include this? Why did Paul share Philippians 3, 5? Well, there's some things that we can learn from that. Number one is because he was not that same person anymore after he had an encounter with the risen Christ. He was not the same anymore. Look at what he says in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. He says, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Boy, that would take care of a lot of our other problems if we stopped viewing people from just a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, the new has come. And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. You see, for Paul... Not being the same person, he recognized, I'm not Saul who was so zealous that I went to kill the, people, the, the Christians in the church. I have come to know Christ, and I am a new creation. I'm not the same. And guess what? I used to think that way, but now I know. I used to think it's Jesus as just a good teacher. Anybody heard that in the world? Wait till Easter. It'll be on Time and Newsweek every year. And I... I, I used to think of the church as being a bunch of backstabbing people who like to talk differently. But now I know differently because I have a relationship with Christ Jesus and that has changed me. I am a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. So he's different than he ever has been. For us, we need to be different and recognize that our past doesn't bind us, but it should release us. What about you? Does your past hinder you or release you? One of the greatest lessons from Scripture that is the hardest one for us to learn is that through Christ, God has forgiven us. Look at the person next to you. You told that they messed up a lot. Tell them, you're forgiven. Oh, that's a hard one, isn't it? You tell them you're forgiven. Nobody wants to tell somebody you're forgiven? There we go. But we are forgiven. Why did Paul write this? Because he wanted us to know that that is the gift from God. Old memories like to lurk around in us. And, and they love to hit us. Those old bad memories love to hit us when we're doing well with Jesus. 
don't they? Like right when you got it together and you feel like it's just me and Jesus and we're rolling along in this life and it's good, then all of a sudden we see that person that we wronged when. Anybody done that before? Or that old memory pops up and you say, you call yourself a Christian and you just did that. It couldn't be, it might not even be an old memory, it may be one for this week. Stephen was saying, hopefully all your family went home. You were, you were probably gnashing some teeth when some of them were there, weren't you? Yeah, right? It could be a new memory. Many of the time, when we serve God, we whisper to ourselves and we say, I'm, you know, and we sit here and we serve and we hear ourselves saying, that voice in our back saying, how can you serve God when I know what you've done and who you are? I know who you really are. And all it's going to take is just that thing to come out and everybody's going to lose faith in you. And faith in who, your faith. Anybody ever felt that way? You know what? That's a great tool of the enemy to have us hindered and bound by our past. Not released by it. The Bible tells us who we really are. Who are we? We really are the new person and the new creation and the new creature that, in Christ. Yes, we still have our memories. But they should release us. In order to serve Christ. Look at what uh, Paul shares. Many of us here we have deep regrets. But forgiveness is a gift of God. I heard a pastor once say. God thought you were worth Christmas. And God thought you were worth Easter. Isn't that cool? That God thought you were worth that. And he still does to this point. So that's the first thing. The second thing is. And I'm not going to give you the answer to this one. I'm going to give you the scripture lesson first. And then we're going to hit the... I want to see if you can figure out the, the answer yourself. Let's look at first, um, first Timothy chapter 1. Stephen read this. But I want you to listen to it again. And it's up here. This is a trustworthy saying. Anytime the scripture says that, you better pay attention. This is a trustworthy saying. And everyone should accept it. Here it is. Christ Jesus came into the world to save who? Sinners. And I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of all sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Did you catch that? Did you hear what he said there? Paul said he was what kind of sinner? The worst. Now, you ever felt that you're the worst of all sinners? I feel you guys are sometimes. No, I'm just joking. Um, uh, Did you ever feel like you're the worst of all sinners? You ever feel like just, oh my gosh, how could I think that? Oh my gosh, how could I ever? I mean, has anybody ever made you so mad that you actually feel like you... You, you have like a, one of those flashback scenes that you feel like you rip somebody from limb to limb and you're like, you come through and you're going, who was that? Or, or something just so deviant and you go, oh my gosh, where did that come from? Ooh, push that down. You know what I mean? That you're the worst of all sin. You're like, ah, how could I possibly be that? And it's when you're right with God that that memory comes right back up. Remember when you thought this about that person? And so, Paul believed he was the worst of all sinners. He believed he was the worst. He said, I, 
and kill Christians. I rounded them up. But look what he says as we continue on. But God had mercy on me so that Christ could use me as a prime what? Example. So that he could show how patient he is with me, the worst of all sinners. And that others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. You see, Paul. the reason why Paul embraced his memories, the good, the bad, and the ugly, is because he recognized, and here's the answer, he could... He, he could remember them to identify and to witness, to identify with and to witness to others. It's the whole purpose. So all that stuff you've been feeling guilty for for years, anybody got any of it? Remember? If I said remember that bad stuff in your life, you can go right there, can't you? Can you go right there? The bad stuff? When you were really bad? I mean really bad? You can remember. But guess what? That stuff that you've been trying to keep down here so people don't people recognize that you're not halo-wearing Christian actually is more powerful when you say, that's where I was. But guess what? If you had shared today about addiction, guess what? I can't share about addiction because I was never addicted. You can to someone who thinks their life's going to hell in a handbasket, you can tell them about the goodness of God because he brought you through it, amen? Somebody else who's gone through something, God can take that and use that in order to bring somebody else out of the pit like I dare say somebody helped bring you out, am I right? And so we got to stop pushing our memories down and bring them up and let God say, but guess what? I'm not there. You see what Paul said? I understand what it was like to be a Pharisee. I understand what it like, was like to be a good, good practicing Jew. Because I was there. I was so zealous, I killed the church. But guess what? I'm not there anymore. Praise God, I'm here. Because our past, we can lead other people to eternal life through Christ. One of the most Probably over the years that we were married, one of the most difficult experiences that we had was um, miscarriages. And I know, and I, and I just thought, like, occasionally happened. But I've, once Melissa had a miscarriage, I realized so many people go through that. And I also never realized the emotional toll it takes on women and men and others who've had children. And lost children. And anybody who has been through that experience says, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And it was through that experience that it was just a few months after that happened that God brought somebody in my life that I could share that with. That helped them heal from that area. Jack Hayford wrote a book called I'll Hold You in Heaven for people who've lost children through miscarriage and abortion and other kinds of areas. And he shares just some incredible insight. That memory that we have, those difficult times that we went through. I guarantee you if anybody in here who has been through marriage difficulties and come through it, that God has used that in your life or wants to. Or you may be someone who went through marriage difficulties and it didn't work out. But I guarantee you God gave you a new message to share in that. And it probably has nothing to do with kick the sucker to the curb, right? I mean, it's, it's probably about God's grace in the midst of those circumstances. Am I right? That's what happened to Paul here. 
He understands the goodness of God. In his mess, I am the worst of all sinners. My memories allow me to identify with those who struggle with, with what I have struggled or do struggle with. Where I get dangerous and where I try to suppress what's going on and my temptations in my life, when I suppress them, push them down, act like I'm holy jack and everything's okay, and I try to deal with it on my own. And when I try to deal with it on my own, guess what happens? I end up in trouble. But when I rely on somebody else who shares what they've been through, it helps. Your choices, good, better, and different, have molded you into being the perfect person for Christ to use to serve others. Now, my Christmas gift to you today is I'm almost done. All right? I'm almost done today. And here we go. Because of your past, you can lead many to eternal life. My memories allow me to identify those who struggle with the same things I do. You see, 2012, in just uh, several hours, is going to be a distant memory. We're never going to go back to 12, 12, 12 and for another 100 years or so. And I'm not going to be around. <laughs> Hopefully not. Right? Like I said, I married my cousin. She and her husband got married at uh, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, at 12, 12. She said he, she didn't want him to forget it. But that's gone. No more one one one. Last we've had one 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 two two two. All the you, you got it right. We're not going to have that for a while. We're just going to have normal. There's no thirteenth month. So we got nothing to look forward to. Maybe this year will be the year that we'll have about ten more times the world's going to end. You notice we had like five or six of them this year at least that were publicized, and some people got them mixed up. And one guy who predicted had a stroke a, a couple weeks later. Just saying, you know. <laughs> 2012 has a mixture of those memories for us, doesn't it? If you put yourself back to where you were a year ago, for some of us, our life was much better, happier, joyous than it is today. For some of us, today it's a lot joyous, a lot better than it was last year. For some of us, it's the same old, same old. And we're just time to make the donuts, for those of you who are old enough to remember that commercial. Right? Life is too short. So for some of you, you may just say, I, I can't stand who I am. And my memories have got me trapped. And I'm going to tell you something. Life is too short to hate yourself. It's too short to hate yourself. So get over you and get on Jesus. Because he loves you. Use 2013. We had an announcement today that it's going to be different here. It's going to be challenging. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm thrilled to see the people that God has brought in this church this year and is going to bring in next year. It's not about numbers. It's not about anything. It's about so that God can use my mess and your mess and our collective mess, kind of like the packages on Christmas, which was nice. It's, you know, they look good when they're nice and shimmering under the tree, but you never get the value of the gift unless you rip open the, the, the paper and leave it on the ground. I hope that 2013 is a year where we let God take the mess that we have, rip it up, throw it on the ground, that some person's going to see it and say, I got mess, I need to be there too, and I need Jesus to clean it up and let the Holy Spirit take it out and burn it up so that I can serve you in a great way. Remember, you are a new creation, and God wants to use you to lead others. Paul said, get it. 
It's a, all this is a gift from God. So, praise team, come forward. I'm going to pray. Lord God, I just want to thank you for this year. Um, once again, you have been faithful, as you always are. You have renewed in us faith in you. When we say there's no way possible, God, you make a way. And this year, God, we're just thrilled about who you are and what you're going to do in our lives. So that this time next year, we know that we're going to have some good memories, some bad memories. We're all going to make a lot of mistakes, as, as James reminded us. But Lord, let us be like the Apostle Paul. Let us embrace those failings so that many can come to know you and that they can come to eternal life through Jesus Christ. As we look back this week, God, help us not to look back and be bound by the past, but let us step forward. So next week, God, we're going to talk about moving forward and looking forward. And so as we do that, God, just renew us through your Holy Spirit. For some of us, we may be here today and we've been living this life and we've never, we've been so bound by the past and we've never come to a loving relationship with you, Lord. We're like the Apostle Paul before he was the Apostle Paul. Saul just sitting there being zealous and doing all the right things but still being void of your Holy Spirit. I pray that maybe today at the altar this last Sunday in 2012, And we may kneel at the altar and just say, God, I need a Savior, and you're the one who it is. You're the only one who can fill that void. Move in my life and do some powerful things. For others of us, 2013 looks like a promising year. As our children get older, have new experiences, as many of us may have relationship uh, steps where we have marriages and all kinds of other things right here. Whatever it may be, God, we pray that you're the center point of that, that life and that ministry. We praise you for the gift that we are forgiven. We love you. Help us to love God and love people more than we ever have before. And serve you at this place called Haven Church, which doesn't only meet once a week, but meets every day as we take the Holy Spirit of God. I pray particularly as people from Haven step out of our comfort zone and go ahead and serve in your name. Serve the people in this rotating shelter this week. God, we just pray that you'll touch their hearts and their lives with the love of Christ during this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.